We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, Yue Xu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Another week, another episode of the Dateable Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome. We are the Dateable Podcast, and we are here to talk about everything modern dating. And we get deep. We dig, dig, (laughs) dig. The topics just never run out. But I am excited about today's topic because we actually got approached by Christine Emba, And she has a book called Rethinking Sex, which you probably have gathered given the title of this episode. And when we were reading this book, I mean, first of all, it was, you know, we always love sex topics and it's always interesting. (laughs) But what's fascinating about this is it goes beyond sex to more of gender roles. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff we've been talking about for quite some time. She was able to put a lot of good vocabulary around just how feminism has changed the landscape for women, but maybe not in the way that we actually want like how many times have you talked to a friend that's like i just want a guy to freaking approach me in real life mm-hmm. make the first yeah move. but we've made it that you know you're a sexual harasser like it's too much to do that so it's it's a really fine line of the progression but also not having us be at a standstill and that's kind of what's happened with modern dating you know it we don't want to undermine the progress that we have made and you'll Absolutely hear in this not. episode as well <laughs> but with everything in life their consequences. And we are facing those consequences in sex right now. And we hope that this episode will shed more light on what is like the confusion that you may be experiencing. You're not alone. And hopefully it will inspire you to have more of these conversations. There's no solution, but we can be talking about this more openly. 
Yes. And one of our favorite terms, undateable, relationship chicken. I feel like that has stemmed from this, that, you know, what we define as relationship chicken is when basically no one wants to show their cards. No one wants to make the move. Everyone says they want one thing when it comes to dating relationships and then do the exact opposite. Yep. And we always say, are you looking for a soulmate or a stalemate? Because all that gets mm-hmm. you is nothing. And I think that is kind of the consequence that's come from all this. Yeah, it's like we say things without thinking about it because it's like a knee-jerk reaction. We feel like we should say these things or it's just part of our system. And I think we're in a very interesting time right now where we are inspired to pause and Mm -hmm. think before we speak and to really get down to why do I even think this way, right? Uh, Unraveling the systems that have built around us and we are built within and hopefully breaking free of all of that. Yeah. I mean, our society is just so go, go, go. I think that's Mm. a big piece of it. And we don't think about that when it comes to dating, but it's every part of life, right? It's like there's this award if you're the busiest. And I think that makes us stop to think like, what is it that we're actually doing? And what is it that we actually want? And we think we're actively doing all this stuff when we're just going through the motions. Well, same same with sex, right? It's like, yeah, people talk about sex like it's some sort of video game that they've unlocked the next level. It's like, yeah, I'm just having a lot of sex and, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm fucking like a man, you know, like, you know, the whole sex in the city thing or I don't get attached anymore after sex. We feel like we have to say these things to protect ourselves. Yeah. And it's and for some reason we're bragging about that. But sex is part of our human connection and emotions, it's really hard to dissociate the two. For some reason, we've overcorrected to the other side of disassociating and just treating sex just as sex. There's so much unraveling that we need to do as a society. And again, we don't want to, you know, the advancements that we've made, those should not be undermined at all. But it's almost like we've gone so extreme that we need to course correct. We put up Mm. on Instagram a quote around being needy. I feel like for years, you heard like that was the detriment to be needy. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when I was told not to be needy, all I did was hold it in. I have the same needs. They didn't magically go away because I was told not to be needy. I just held it in and then I got upset when someone wasn't a mind reader. And I feel like we've been taught like all this stuff to play it cool. And that's, I think, the core of relationship chicken is you don't want to show your cards. You don't want to say that you're the one with the more feelings. But I think when you can get to a point that you're just like, fuck it, that's when like things start to click because who cares? if someone thinks you're needy like if they're not meeting your needs then like that's not who you want to be with i i used to preempt every sexual encounter by leaving their house early because oh, I didn't want to overstay my welcome and yes, come off as needy. Cool. And then I would get home and just sit in my apartment alone and thinking, well, that would have been nice to like stay and cuddle. But, you know, I had to protect myself. But thinking back, why couldn't I just openly say I really prefer to hang out for a little bit after sex? Like it makes me feel good and you know, just be more open about stating who I am. And if if you're on board with that, let's proceed. And if you're not, then I'm going to leave. And you don't even know if they liked it. 
Like they maybe wanted you to be there all day. I think it could even just be something as simple as I'm having so much fun. Like this has been so amazing. And then cuddling. Like like how, why would someone say that's a terrible thing to say? All you're saying is I enjoy being with you. Like why would that be something we need to hide when you think about it logically? Right, exactly. And then on the flip side, I feel like there's so many people out there who've told me I, I guess so emotionally attached after sex that I have this no sex rule for the first three months or whatever, like this arbitrary rule. And now looking back on those conversations, you have to question why set those rules without the other person in mind? You're just setting these rules for yourself. They're really based on nothing instead of just communicating with the people you're interacting with and let them know what's going on. Instead of like depriving yourself of something that's so pleasurable. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've definitely been here before that I'm like, I'm going to hold out. I'm not going to have sex right away. And then they like end up, you know, ghosting or ending it. And then you're like, oh, dodged a bullet but yeah. at the same time like did you dodge a bullet or were you just being right. like standoffish and someone could sense that energy that right. you're not really invested in this I think if you had said like hey like I take sex seriously or this means a lot to me I want to get to know you better but like still give signs that you're interested in developing something and by s- signs I mean saying it like why are yeah. we so afraid to say stuff we think that people like understand our Morse code that we're putting out there <laughs> <laughs> that is what it feels like sometimes. That yeah. that truly is what it feels like sometimes. I I would hold resentment. Like how, how come this person didn't hear what I didn't say? Like how did yeah. they not read my mind? <laughs> Get the signals. Oh my god. One time when I was on match.com, this was years ago. I got an entire message in Morse code. Like it was sent, wow. like the entire message was sent that way. And then my friend got the same one. So same message. <laughs> Like clearly it was a copy and paste. You just don't even know how to respond to something like that. So it's the same with this. It's you're not giving anyone (laughs) anything to go off of. Oh, my gosh, that's so (laughs) weird. (laughs) We're so weird with communication. Why? I really wish, you know, I feel like we talk about being vulnerable. It's such a buzzword, right? Be vulnerable. And I think people take it to be, let me disclose all my deep, dark secrets and trauma dump on this person Mm -hmm. and have a therapy session with my date. And that is not what being vulnerable means. Like, I think just saying that you're having a good time, like it seems so simple, yet it's so difficult for so many of us to do. And I was there for years. Like I never, I remember I had a friend that was married and Mm -hmm. he was like oh like did you text him and say you had a good time i'm like i would never do that no way i'm like this guy's so clueless he's married he's out of the game and then looking back at it i'm like of course the guy went with out with would want to hear that like why wouldn't someone want to hear that and you're not being needy you're just being normal (laughs) like you're just common courtesy telling yeah it's so weird like why does dating and this kind of reminds me of like the lowest common denominator episode we did a few weeks ago why are there so many like arbitrary rules and ways Mm -hmm. of being and dating that don't apply to anything else in life like if you met up with like a colleague of course you would text them the next day or email them and be like it was really great to meet you if you didn't it'd be freaking rude right i truly believe 90 percent of the stress we face in dating is from the non-communication it's the stories we make up during the periods of non-communication i still remember like really liking this guy 
seeing him and asking if you want to hang out the next Wednesday. And he's like, I'm busy next Wednesday. How about Thursday? Instead of asking, oh, what are you doing Wednesday? I made up this story in my mind that he's going on another date. And he was seeing all these other people. And he was having this like party life. And later to find out from his friends that he was visiting his parents. Uh, like, why? <laughs> why did I even put myself through that? I could have just simply asked, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you up and to? that's like how you for like if you had a friend that was away, you would just be like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, what's going on? You wouldn't where be like, you, where are you headed? Oh my God, they're hanging out with another friend <laughs> cheating on <laughs> they me. Have other <laughs> friends. They have another life outside how of me. dare they? <laughs> how it's so rude. weird. <laughs> I think yeah. we obviously need to rethink sex, hence the title of this episode. We need to rethink all of dating, all of it, the all entire it. gamut of love, dating, relationship, sex. All of it needs to be rethought. Re- <laughs> it needs a facelift. Everything. It needs serious everything Botox. Needs yeah. Or maybe not even Botox. Botox just like Band-Aid solution. That's we true. Need a it's full true. full facelift. Yeah. Like a whole new face. <laughs> Cannot look the same anymore or similar. It's just we need we need to. It's an upheaval. Like we need to change everything. But we're, yeah. we're slowly getting there. How are we getting there? One is you're listening to this podcast. And this yep, is something we're very go. passionate about. <laughs> Please join the movement because we can't keep dating yes. like this. If we keep dating like this, we're all going to end up in dating hell. And you're going to end up hating everyone and not wanting to be in relationships or communicate or connect with other human beings. So... Please come on board this movement. This is step Mm -hmm. number one. But step number two, I realize this is a major light bulb moment for me this this past week. I was kind of like being judgy on some of my friends' relationships. And sometimes Mm. I get in like this mode of like, my friends can do so much better. You know, I I Mm. really think they deserve better people in their lives. And I realized I was being judgy because I needed to reflect on my own relationship. Whenever I comment on other people's lives, it's a reflection (sighs) of what I am experiencing in my own life. So same thing with dating. If you are commenting about bad dating behavior, bad dating culture, Look to yourself first and see if you have been part of that. Because I certainly realized that this week is like, oh, I'm commenting on other people's relationships because I'm not working on the problems in my own relationship. Like, who am I to judge other people? I just had like the exact epiphany as you said it. And it took me until <laughs> you say that, that I've been doing the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the easy thing is to comment on external yeah. things, right? Other people. Yeah, I'm above it all. I still remember when I went to group uh, relationship therapy with my ex and the first it was two weekends, right? And I remember telling you this, Julie, like the first weekend, we're like, we have no problems compared to these people. <laughs> They've got, got big problems. They all have issues. And then by the second weekend, we broke up. <laughs> that's how it goes. You're like, ours are so bad. We don't even know them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's a fucking tsunami of issues. <laughs> well, that rings just too true. I feel like that is everything in life. It all comes back to us. And that's the hardest person. It's the hardest mm-hmm. thing to face is yourself. But ultimately, that's the change. Like, that's the only yeah. real change. And I think it's easy to blame all this other stuff and to look down on people and all the external. But the hard work really does come from looking within. It does. It does. And we're going to do that in this episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, before we get into this 
episode at Dateable Podcast. That's our Instagram. We've been, you know, experimenting with more video content. We're putting Mm -hmm. up all sorts of things lately. We have a mission. If you want to get on this movement, make sure you're following us there too. Because I was thinking about this, that a lot of times, you know, we say all this stuff on the podcast and clearly that's a great way to bring it up. But I feel like sometimes seeing something written that's like Mm -hmm. bite size, it just drives it home. So even if, you know, you've maybe heard something a couple times, whether it's from this podcast or the myriad of other dating sources out there, but sometimes just seeing it that one more time said a different way will be like, yep, that's exactly what I need. Kind of like what UA just did to me right now (laughs) with that. So definitely follow us at Dateable Podcast. Loving the time of Corona. I feel like, you know, my heart has been warm this week. We've seen so many people traveling and just being like, hey, yeah, like who's in whatever location you're at? Like this has happened a couple times now. What a great way for people to connect. I also was like very heartwarm that someone wrote about a relationship that they just got into and they talked about like the values that they were looking of how they wanted to feel and that this Mm -hmm. person checked it off and someone was like oh can I share this in another group and they were like I prefer not to because this is the group of the people that's kind of been with me along this journey and I'm not really like trying to put this on the internet like I'm trying to share it with this group so really tight-knit group we still have the sounding board UA and I go once a month but also the group meets pretty much weekly on the weekly sound offs and Mm -hmm. We have a phenomenal host team. If you're feeling alone in dating, let's say all your friends are coupled off, they just don't get what you're going through. These are the people that got your back. So you can always join datablepodcast.com slash sounding board. For sure. Okay, well, that's it for announcements. Before we get into it, let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Vaya. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Vaya has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Vaya also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use a code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use a code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. Okay, let's hear it from Christine Emba. So we're talking about sex. And talking about how we view sex, what is our relationship to sex, especially post the Me Too world? And what is this 
post-sexual revolution looking like, especially with the feminist movement and people being a little bit confused when it comes to dating, especially who makes the first move and who's doing what, basically. So we've got Christine Embra with us today. She is columnist for The Washington Post, writing about ideas and society. She's the author of Rethinking Sex. She's in her early 30s, lives in Washington, D.C., been there for six years, originally from Richmond, Virginia, and she's in a monogamous relationship. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? Welcome. We are fabulous. And you are you are with us from the Washington Post office today, which is <laughs> so Recording official. It's very cool. We've never seen the inside of Washington Post. So that's cool. <laughs> we get to see that. And then, you know, we always love talking about sex. So let's just start with that. Let's start with your own relationship with sex. What made you start rethinking sex? So as a journalist, you know, I've always been interested in, you know, kind of questions of culture and society and ethics. Actually, my official beat at the Washington Post is ideas in society, <laughs> which is broad enough to be almost anything. anything. But, you know, I write a lot about sort of gender and relationships and what we owe to each other. And obviously, I'm sort of a young woman in the world. And during the Me Too moment, I was covering that in columns pretty frequently. It was a galvanizing moment for me in a way, in that it showed that many of the problems with sort of sex and sexual culture that we thought we had moved past with the sexual revolution, and even the feminist movements had not actually gone away. You know, these things were still present. Some of the Me Too cases, the, you know, high profile ones, the Harvey Weinsteins, etc., had kind of clear answers as to what was wrong. Like, no, you can't actually force your underling to have sex with you in a hotel room. Like, that's a bad <laughs> thing to do. Um, <laughs> But then there were the ones, the other ones, the ones that actually went the most viral. Those surfaced tricky issues that weren't so easily resolved. The whole debacle with Aziz Ansari and Babe.net and the woman who said he was the worst date of her life. You had stories like Cat Person, you know, the New Yorker short story that was like their most read piece of fiction ever, I think. I'm not familiar with Cat Person. I don't yeah, think I'm I've heard that. Oh, yeah. interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. So this was um, uh, like a piece of short fiction published by the magazine, The New Yorker, I think in early 2018. So like kind of right at the peak of the Me Too movement. And it was about a young woman. It was written from like the close third person, a college student who goes on a date with an older guy and she has sex with him and like doesn't like it like she doesn't want to but mm. she sort of feels like she she should and so she has sex with him and like it's kind of narrated from her perspective being like why why am i doing this i guess like i'm going to sort of perform this thing and then they stop seeing each other and he sends her some sort of terrible texts at the end and that's like the whole story it's about a young woman who goes on a date and has sex that she doesn't really want but she feels like she should mm. and so many people seem to relate to that there were mm. sort of floods of think pieces tweets. I talked to a lot of people who were like, yeah, that's that's normal. That's dating mm -hmm. now. This is this is sort of the normal experience. And a case like that, you know, a story like that is not as clear as, you know, Harvey Weinstein, who is a rapist. It's, yeah. you know, it's not rape or obviously sexual assault. And yet it's not good. You know, right. <laughs> it's clearly not a good experience. And the fact that so many young women, you know, were like, yeah, that's that's the normal. That's the normative experience to me. And so many young men were like, why are you so upset? Like, I don't know how I feel about this. I feel targeted. I don't, I'm very conflicted about this. It was fascinating to me because like, if that's the norm, something is very wrong. Right. There are these issues underlying it that are causing people 
a lot of sort of pain and sadness. So I wanted to dig into kind of those tensions a little bit more and like take stock of where we were as a culture, you know, figuring out what was ailing our sexual culture if kind of this sort of confusion and unpleasantness is the norm. Mm -hmm. You know, what assumptions about sex are we holding that serving us? Where did we think the sexual revolution should have taken us? And where did we end up? And, you know, what ethic do we need uh, to determine whether sex is good or not if consent is not enough? Which, you know, in, in many of these cases where people are consenting to sex, you know, it's consensual, but still sad or upsetting or maybe even deeply traumatic. You know, it's still bad. What else should we be doing here? When I was reading your book, there was this one image that I held in my mind. This happened in college. And this has been years at this point. I remember driving by this car and this guy basically like having sex with this girl that was super out of it. Like she was super drunk. And he was just like, gave us a thumbs up as we drove by it was he was outside in his car. It was the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Wow. Obviously, I don't know what happened 100%. But like she might have given consent. It wasn't like a total it wasn't like he was raping this girl in pure daylight. But there were so many factors of like why this was not okay. So I feel like we've moved from this like no is no to yes is yes consent culture. Like how do you think consent has changed over like the last decade? I mean, I think so much of our conversation about sex right now is has moved towards like the pendulum is swung sort of from pre-sexual revolution no you kind of you shouldn't be doing anything don't have sex at all it's bad you know so many restrictions around sex to a sense of like okay well now we don't want to restrict people we should have as few limitations as possible as long as you consent you know Mm. everything that kind of happens after consent if you've got that is okay, or at least can't be criticized. And I think in this moment, so much of our conversation around sex revolves around sort of defining the limits, right? How far something can go before it crosses the line and becomes outrageous or even illegal, you know, actively non-consensual. My question has always been, and in this book especially is, you know, why do we settle for asking what's legal rather than what's actively good? Good for us, good for the Mm. other person, creating the sexual encounters and relationships that we actually really want. You know, consent is an essential baseline, obviously. We have to have consent. It's taken us a long time, frankly, to even get to the place where we can say no means no and yes means yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But consent is a floor. It never should have been the ceiling. Right. And so if consent is the only standard by which we're judging sex, we're kind of punting on really big questions, like whether that consent was fairly gotten, whether it's even good for us to be doing what we've gotten consent to do. And then the big ones that I think we don't talk enough about as a society, and we thus haven't come to like a strong agreement or norm about, you know, what exactly it takes for a sexual encounter to be actually ethical or moral good. Right. And then there's the gray area of all of this is Margaret Cho just did this stand up the other day. And she's like, sometimes it's about consent or relent. I'm just relenting to this. Like, yes, let's just let's just go with it. And she was saying, those are times that I I could have used my time better. But you know, the gray area is where I think modern dating gets a little confusing 
for so many is, well, do I need to look for that clear sign or who's making the first move? Who's leaning in for that first kiss? Is that okay to go in for the hug? Is there kind of a general mindset we can have around this so that we can stop questioning? Because now we're at a place of inaction. People are stilted. Mm-hmm. They are they are thinking, I can't make a move. I can't do anything. I'm just not going to step forward and wait for it her to make the move. Is there a general thinking that we can shift around this so that we actually do something about it? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. You know, I I interviewed a lot of people for Rethinking Sex. And one of the things that became evident was exactly what you're saying, that because there are, it feels like there are so few, like the norms are like not clear around what people should be doing. And especially post Me Too, people are scared of doing the wrong thing. Nobody feels comfortable doing much of anything at all. Like I talked to one guy who lives in San Francisco who was like, well, I would never like ask out a woman at, at work or something. That's like handing someone a yeah. loaded shotgun. I yeah. was like, that, that seems yeah. extreme, but a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then on the side of many women, I talked to women who are like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be asked out, you know, or I want a relationship. But also I've had so many of these like encounters with guys where I like, I had sex because I thought I should and I wasn't like treated very well. And now I'm just sort of over men. Like I'm not, right. Mm. it's not appealing to me anymore. And so nobody, you know, the both sides still want a relationship on some level, but yep. like feel kind of almost incompetent in, in getting there. And I think one of the things that has perhaps changed or that seems problematic for dating in this moment is this idea of thinking about things sort of transactionally and in sort of a, a defensive legal mindset where you're trying to figure out what can I almost either what can I get away with without it mm. being bad mm. or like what do I have to steer clear of because of fear yes. it's a mindset that doesn't it's not conducive to sort of meeting the other person in any way it's it's fear-based and it's limiting I think what you said I mean that resonates so much with you know people in our community friends of mine I've talked to that you know are all for feminism right like we never want to go back to the days where women are seen as inferior and just sexual objects like I don't think anyone is saying that but then the outside you kind of alluded to is did we actually get the result that we wanted from feminism mm-hmm. you know like now we have the situation where maybe we'd want that person at work to like make a move, but they're afraid to do so. So it's almost like you actually had a quote that I love is like, we're liberated, but we're miserable. Why do you think it's an issue that, you know, that women are now feeling like we have this feminism that's in our favor, but we're not actually getting the result we want? Yeah, I <laughs> I feel like that's one of the chapters in the book, We're Liberated But We're Miserable, that people related to sort of the most. Yeah. And, you know, it's strange. I talk about the idea of heteropessimism, which was coined by the writer Asa Saracen. And she describes it as a mode of feeling that's expressed in the form of like regret, embarrassment, and hopelessness about the straight experience. Oh. And often like one kind of performed by women. Like, oh, I, I wish I was not into men. <laughs> like this just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because this pessimism comes at like a moment when you might expect that we'd be really excited about it. You know, we're kind of living in a golden age of sexual freedom. Yeah. The age of first marriage is rising. It's more acceptable to remain, you know, single or have premarital sex. But the thing is, I think getting rid of the old rules and replacing them with just like the sort of lowest bare minimum norm of consent was supposed to free us up to do a bunch of things and make us happy. But without any sort of real structure or understanding of 
you know, what the aim is, what they're supposed to do. Many people today feel a bit lost. Mm -hmm. I think that the question of boundaries actually becomes really important because if we're actually able to create a positive sexual norm, sort of create and socialize norms for each other, for men and women, for sort of what we expect from each other and what we what we want, we're kind of defining, we can define the scope of both what isn't wanted and then lay out a space for everything that might actually be possible and sort of enough limitations that people kind of feel directed in a way. And that is something that we're missing. So then in the subjects that you interviewed for your book, where they have this hetero pessimism and they're kind of giving up on each other and on relationships, what do they do instead? What's the alternative? Yeah, they just like now go for same sex relationships. Like what happens? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was surprised by the number of women I talked to who were, who had, (laughs) uh, who kind of weren't dating or were like, well, I feel more comfortable sort of not dating men or dating non-binary people or sort of exploring my sexuality in other ways because I just, I've been hurt too many times by the opposite sex. And everybody who said that, you know, sort of like, this seems like, I feel like this is sort of a taboo and like, I don't know, (laughs) bad for feminism. Like, I feel like it's a stereotype, like woman is hurt by man becomes a lesbian. But at the same time, that is kind of what I'm doing. And I was, I was really surprised by that. Like, are people just giving up? Do you feel like? Like, do you feel like they're (laughs) just like not? I mean, we know we've, we've heard like in the Atlantic, they coined it like the sex recession that we're in. And a lot of that was following me too. Like, I guess, how do we get to like where we are right now that we're empowered men and women, I would say like women obviously have a lot more rights than we once did and a lot of really great things that are going for partnerships in today's world but clearly some drawbacks like you're pointing out and then men too i'd argue like you know do not have to fit into one stereotype anymore so there's a lot of positives but then there's all this fallout that you're talking about like how do we get to this fallout situation yeah well one of the things that i talk about in in uh rethinking sex is sort of acknowledging honestly where we are and sort of pushing back against kind of myths that we may have been sort of sold about sex in our current and like extremely liberated sexual culture, basically. And I think that actually being honest about what sex really means, what we want from us, what would really be good is what can help us kind of move forward from not just being like, oh, everything is terrible, like the sexual culture is terrible to the, okay, now what? How do we change it for the better? And I identify in the book a couple of things that I think are ripe for reconsideration in the way that we talk about and understand sex. And one of them is, well, there are a couple and I guess I can, I can lay them out. One is, first of all, the idea that just sex is an activity like any other, basically. I feel like there's a sort of a common myth almost that, you know, sex shouldn't mean very much. You know, it's just like a thing that we, that people do for fun. And it's like a handshake, but maybe you might have a baby. And so be careful, you know, (laughs) but as long as you get consent, like it, it shouldn't be a big deal. And yet, you know, I talked to so many women and men who would say, well, actually I find sex really meaningful, but Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like I shouldn't. So I just like have it with people. And then like, I feel, I don't like the way that I feel afterwards. And so one thing could be just like being honest about sort of what these encounters mean to us might allow us then to ask for what we want and to sort of form our dating life and our relationships in a direction that actually brings us towards towards the good that we're looking for. You know, another one is like the idea that, you know, the optimal way to be in sort of a dating environment or sort of as a young person in the world is like to be free, Mm -hmm. to not catch feelings, 
mm-hmm. you know, to not commit and not be tied down to somebody because that's actually really lame and catching feelings is lame when actually a lot of people are like, well, actually, I do really want a relationship. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, actually, kind of the feelings are the best part. And actually, like, this, like, This myth that I picked up from watching Sex in the City that sold is like, well, this is obviously Mm -hmm. how people behave is not correct for me. And so being able to be honest about sort of, okay, what do you actually want? Is individual, this sort of like idea of individualism and autonomy actually serving us? If not, then maybe we can be honest about wanting relationship, wanting to depend upon or be, you know, cared for by another person and pursue that instead. I think in some ways, the the sort of post-sexual revolution moment sort of pushed us to away from repression and towards, you know, this idea of like total liberation as yeah. the best mm-hmm. outcome and the goal that everybody should be reaching for. I'm suggesting in the book, actually, that maybe we can reconsider that and see what actually kind of works for us. Well, I think that's exactly yeah. it. Because like, I, I feel like I'm a huge Sex of the City fan, as UA and everyone else on this podcast probably knows. And I think it did a lot for us. Like, I don't want to diminish what it did for us. Like, I feel like as women, like just, you know, taking the back seat and following rules to, you know, get a guy like that wasn't healthy either. But looking back and rewatching it, it's kind of cringe sometimes, you know, it's just there is such like, there's no emotions that go into anything. It's like this whole like, you know, having sex like men, but Mm -hmm. that's also like diminishing men too, that shows that like, there isn't like that side of it. And I think what like you've said too, it's there's almost like this safety in it that I'm just gonna like brush away my feelings. So I can't get hurt. And I've gone I've swung so far on the other side of the pendulum. Like, how do we start getting back to more of an equilibrium. I mean, I think honesty is like an important first step, like just recognizing that this is happening and that we can sort of push back against this culture that we've sort of imbibed and figure out what actually works for us. You mentioned sort of how we don't want to give up the gains of the feminist movement and the feminist moment. And I think that's Mm -hmm. really right. I think though, and this is one of the things that I explore in the book, it kind of feels like the original aims, the aims of the original feminist movement were in some ways sort of co-opted by a capitalistic and still patriarchal culture and turned to something else. So, you know, like the feminist, the early feminist movement was actually really revolutionary. It had the idea of like smashing the patriarchal system, you know, one that centered male preferences and also male and toxic value systems and replacing it with a vision in which women and their actually distinctive concerns were equally valued and respected. That's a that's a pretty specific vision, you know of sex positivity, meaning that like women are sort of seen and sort of seen as equal and valued for who they are. But then we kind of moved to this, almost the current moment where we went from the feminist movement to this sort of like lean in and hashtag girl boss feminism, which Mm -hmm. asked for less, you know, rather than actually dismantling a male dominated system female progress was kind of redefined. It was redefined to just look like gaining power within the existing system, which meant adopting its values. You know, so like a boss is still the ideal. Empowerment is just like a girl one. Right. You know, and Playboy was still great as long as women could be play girls. But that that isn't equality, right? That's just sameness. That's just... Mm -hmm forcing women or ask pushing women to live by a male value system. And it almost is suggesting that women settle for the opportunity to be 
like almost the worst kind of man. So it like yeah. neither asks men yes. to do more, yeah. um, nor does it actually respect sort of women uniquely and recognize like, hey, women and men like are not necessarily the same, but that doesn't mean that one is worse than the other. I mean, that's exactly it. That's why I hate Bumble so much. <laughs> I hate Bumble so much because it's basically just putting it on women opposed to making an equal footing. Like, how is that empowering in any way? Well, I think, you know, part of the issue is men haven't been included in the conversation about feminism. Mm -hmm. We have not asked them to step up in any way. If I'm fucking leaning in, you better fucking lean in, too. And so it's, it feels like with the new feminist movement, women are asked or actually glamorized to take on more responsibilities, to have it all. Be the mom, mm -hmm. be the wife, be the CEO, be the boss girl, be like the uh, stripper in bed, you know, like be everything <laughs> that is that the patriarch has painted for us. Yet we have not asked for men to do anything at all. And I think that's why we are in this sex recession right now is women are asked to do so much and to initiate, to to lean in in every aspect of our lives. What have we asked men to do? Like just sit there? It's just just kind of being confused. What do you think, Christine, is going to happen with the hookup culture? Do you think that it's something that will die down or do you think it will just manifest into something a little different? Yeah, that's a good question. I have hopes, um, but I'm, I'm not necessarily sure. I mean, I guess I'll also just tack back and reiterate kind of what you were saying. I think you're totally right. Like women were encouraged in many ways to become kind of like the worst kind of men. Mm -hmm. You know, I talked to one woman who was just like, well, I modern feminism felt like I was internalizing this idea that just having tons of casual sex like a man does would subvert the double standard. Yeah. And if I learned how to fuck without feelings, like then I yes. could be free like men. Right. <laughs> but, yep. you know, she actually said that she later realized that she was just imitating a stance that she had kind of already found degrading and dehumanizing. Yes. And yeah, and then it wasn't, you know, men being asked to be better or more loving or more open people. Like they they still just faced the same pressure to lean into their stereotypical roles, yep. making it harder for them to ask for and achieve the connection that many of them actually wanted. And women were doing the same. So we're both we're kind of going in the same bad direction. You're not going to meet there. One thing that I, I, I think is kind of promising maybe is that I, I am seeing more people pushing back. So the conversation about hookup culture has been sort of constant for like the past 10 years or more. But in interviewing Gen Z, like Gen Zers for the book, a number of them I was surprised to, to hear were just like, yeah, no. No to hookup culture. Okay. That's great. Good. Yeah. They've learned from us, the millennial generation. Yes. <laughs> the people yeah, who fucked they, it up. They saw... <laughs> <laughs> they saw our struggles. Um, you know, I, I was like talking to this group of college students and they were telling me about their dating lives. And one of them was like, yeah, you know, like my my friend, she went on, she went out with this guy and he didn't want to hook up with her. He said he wanted to get to know her better. And it was awesome. <laughs> what a concept. <And> she, <laughs> yeah. And she told us about that. And I, we were all like, wow, incredible. Wow. And then another person in the group, a guy actually jumped in, was like, yeah, we shouldn't have to treat that guy like a unicorn. Right. He shouldn't yes. be applauded. You know, like, yes. This should be the norm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this should, should be, be the norm. This should be the norm. And so many of them and like other people I talked to were like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I've tried it and it's like, I don't, it's not for me, actually. Like I'm beginning to find that form of feminism kind of not that exciting. And I'm I'm interested in doing something different, whether it's trying to date people in person and relying less on apps. 
or, you know, trying not to define themselves as much by sort of like their sexual activity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's hopeful. I think people will probably continue to to hook up. But I think there's a little bit more awareness now that there are like other options that you don't just have to do that because that's what you've been sold. It's definitely hopeful to hear the younger generation is feeling that yeah. way. I think like what UA and I see is like a lot of people that's been there, done that, you know, embrace the hookup culture, realize that it's ultimately unfulfilling. And this is both men and women. I think it's hopeful to me that we've seen people come out of it. And you know, if anything, what a trend we actually talked about in an episode that we did last season is that people are putting less emphasis on sexual chemistry and attraction because they're almost overcorrecting for all this time mm-hmm. that, you know, we've been mm. so focused on this. And it's all about like, what do I want in a long-term partner? What are all these qualities? And we were saying, you know, that maybe that's not, maybe that's overswinging too. Like, I feel like we keep going in this cycle of overcorrection in both ways. But I'd love your thoughts too of like, how can can, you know, we acknowledge and I think not just women, but men too, that like, we do want that deeper connection. Like, how do we cut through all like this bullshit and be open about it and not be afraid to take that risk? So, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about how consent is not enough to it's not a high enough standard to define good sex, right? Mm -hmm. It can define sort of what's not literally rape or like actually assault. But I think most of us want more from our sexual encounters than I did not actively rape someone. Right. Right. (laughs) And so I suggest actually that one way that we can sort of push towards a better culture is by trying to have a higher standard for our encounters. And I suggest the idea of willing the good of the other as a standard that we can reach for that is, I think, more ideal than just did I get consent from the other person? And so willing the good of the other is actually Aristotle by way of Thomas Aquinas. And it was his definition of love, but not like just romantic love, but sort of love in the idea of like seeing a person valuing them as kind of a a human being. And it implies a couple of things for a relationship if you're trying to will the good of the other, if that's your standard. Like one, you have to have some idea of what the good actually is. So like, what does sex actually mean Mm -hmm. to you? What do you actually want from a relationship? Like, what is the good that you're reaching for? Mm. To will the good of the other person means that you are sort of putting it upon yourself to care as much about their well-being as your own. So willing their good. And that also implies then that you have to like think about them and maybe even know them or get to know them to figure out what their good would be, like what they're actually looking for, what they want, because their good is not actually the same as just like yours. Like if their your outcome might be like, I want to get someone to have sex with me. Okay, but that that may not be their good. <laughs> so pushing you pushing yourself to kind of figure out not just what you want, but also what the other person wants and sort of treating them as kind of a companion in your encounter or a companion in your relationship where you're creating something together, not just someone you're trying to get something from, whether it's sex or something longer term. Seeing people as humans, you know, not mm. commodities, right? which unfortunately dating apps have trained us to look at people in that way. Moving away from that vision could be really helpful and hopeful. So is that mindset of instead of thinking, am I going to get some tonight with this person? Is thinking, how can we have the best time possible? And asking the other person what they're looking to do Uh, that's positive for them? Yeah. I mean, I think not even just like having the best time possible, but sort of helping them in some way, like helping them Mm. achieve sort of their, their good. And I think it's kind of, 
Willing the good of the other, I think, is, it sounds like a sort of philosophical concept, but it's really related to almost just like the golden rule, right? Doing unto others, something that's, you know, sort of pretty common, but also difficult in some ways. But I think even just like the attempt to try and see the other person and figure out their good, like even if you try doing that and you fail, that's still so many steps further than just like checking off the, okay, did they say yes? Let's, let's go. I feel like, you know, I think some of it too is how do we reframe what's attractive? Because, you know, like we're talking about men at large in a certain way. And that isn't every man. Like we know from our podcast, there's a lot of men that want the same thing and equal partnerships and to really put not this emphasis that has been in the past and to live by a new rules of masculinity. But we often find those are those men that get overlooked by women sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. how do we start to I guess, separate what society has fed us for all these years and like untangle that and kind of reimagine what we want living by our own rules? I think everyone says that, but it's hard to actually do it. And we're so influenced by the past and what we think we should want and do. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I think it takes a lot of self-reflection, first of all, just like mm. actually forcing yourself to ask those questions. One of the things that I found so interesting in doing research and reporting for this book was talking to people about their sexual encounters and their relationships and their dating life. And I would ask people, you know, okay, so like, tell me about this, like thing that you did, you went on, you went on a date with this guy, or something you slept with this person. And they're like, yeah, yeah, this happened. And I'm like, okay, why? And the answer was often like, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. I I felt like I should, or like, I guess I did it for the story, Mm. maybe. Mm. And he'd be like, okay, that's, that's interesting. So like, what do you what do you think sex is to you? Like, what do you want from sex? And often the answer was like, I don't, I guess I've never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. Or it would be like, oh, well, I guess actually I do want a relationship. Like I, I want to love someone and be loved. And I'm like, okay, so is this getting you there? And they're like, I guess not. I guess I just didn't really think about it. <laughs> and so many people, I think, like don't ask themselves these questions we just sort of like do the thing that we've that the story tells us to do or do it for the story but we we don't slow down and say like what what do i actually want right you know why am i actually doing this is this thing that i'm doing helping me get mm-hmm. to where i want to go and just slowing down and asking yourself that can be so clarifying. Well, that's interesting because we focus so much on consent with the other person that maybe we should take a, a moment before that to get consent from ourselves yeah. first, asking the why and do you want to go through with this? Yeah. Interesting. Let's hold that thought for a few messages. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. (laughs) Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. 
and feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We talk about quality, and that's kind of like the gold standard. I think for you know a lot our generation that maybe has seen the fallout of the past real inequalities and then the overcorrection, and now we just want to get back to a place where it's more even. But you point out in your book that like biology might make that fully impossible. You know, women, clearly there's more at stake, hetero women, or anyone that is able to have a child and get pregnant, like especially with all the abortion stuff that's been going on lately. It's like there's a lot of danger there for women that men just don't hold or even the biological clock. Do you think that there's ever a place that we can get to true equality? Or is that just kind of impossible because because of biology? Yeah, great question. I mean, so <laughs> in writing the book, this chapter, Men and Women Are Not the Same, almost felt like one of the one of the more taboo sections to write. <laughs> because exactly, we have this sort of this idea that, well, we should just, men and women should just like be able to have sex in the same way. It's like, that's, that's the goal. Sort of this equality is the goal. But, you know, I think that sameness is not, sameness and equality are not actually equivalent. And I think that if we are thinking about how to have sort of good and ethical sex and relationships, it's important to be open and honest about how people are different and like where vulnerabilities are different. And exactly as you said, like in when it comes to sex, often women have, you know, far more vulnerabilities than men and also maybe want different things from encounters. Mm -hmm. I think we actually just need to get to a place where we can acknowledge that that's the case so that we can then begin to ask men to take that into account, to take that power dynamic into account, because that's actually what sort of respecting women would look mm. like. That's actually sort of how you would push towards equality by seeing the whole person, seeing women as they are and seeing men as they are and thinking about how those two can kind of fit together, not just how we can sort of make them identical and not have to and thus not have to talk about any conflict. Right. I think what I'm gathering from so much of this is like the way we've been defining equality is like making it even where it sounds like and correct me if you think elsewise, like that's just not possible, given the way that biology stands and maybe not even what's best. Like how else do you think we can continue to like bridge the gap and shift the thought from quality being that everything is the same to celebrating the differences? I think that in the end, be aiming for what is actually good, I guess, mm -hmm. what we actually want. Like what we want, I think, from relationships is not necessarily sameness, right? Mm -hmm. What we want are relationships that are fulfilling, that sort of right meet our different needs. And so what does that look like? Not just like, can we sort of win the race, <laughs> get get somewhere before men or vice versa, but actually how can we kind of collaborate in a way that serves both parties? And that can be really unique and look really different, I think. In some ways, it, it almost feels like we, post-sexual revolution and feminist movement, we spent a lot of time almost trying to play catch up yeah. in a way without actually figuring out like, what are we trying to get to exactly? You know, what was, what is the real goal here? 
I remember Yue and I went to South by Southwest a couple years ago, and we somehow were in a room that became like a man bashing zone. We had an <laughs> actual man, like a man apologized for being a white man. And, you know, like it was just one of those things that we we're both like, is this really progress? Like I get like we want to elevate, you know, women's voices and people of color's voices. Like that's not that's yes, that's a given. But I feel like just hating on another group isn't necessarily giving us progress. It's just shifting it from what it is. Like if you find yourself, we talked about a little earlier, like being in this like I hate men mentality or the insult mentality. If you find yourself kind of in this mode, how can you kind of start to rethink that that's not actually equality at the end of the day. I think that again, it like one of the things or the place that I think that we found ourselves in after sort of during and after directly after the Me Too movement was, you know, we identified a lot of things that we thought were bad Mm -hmm. and that were going wrong with our sexual culture and that we didn't like, which is important to sort of define where things have gone off the rails in some ways. And we, you know, need to get more clear on what is wrong, actually, um, so that we can correct course. But I think we also need to begin to develop a positive definition Mm. of what we want relationships and sex and sort of our sexual culture to look like, to identify the sort of substantive goods that we are hoping for in our encounters with each other individually and sort of in our sexual culture at large. Talk about them openly so that we can sort of publicly kind of promote practices that advance them and sort of discourage practices that don't. You know, identifying the positive vision, I think, if we think about it, we're all like, okay, the, probably the positive vision of our sexual culture is not just sitting around in a circle hating on right. men. Right. Especially if you're attracted. Yeah. Like that's not really getting you to your goal at all. Right. Like we can identify the problem, but that's only the first step. The next step is to be like, okay, so where do we want to go? Like what exactly do we want to change? So I guess in your opinion, like where do you <laughs> think the next wave looks like? Like we talked about how you know, we've overcorrected, recorrected. We've had to rethink what sex actually means and looks like. Where do you see us all going? It's kind of hard to predict the future. Two trends that I think I'm seeing. One is more skepticism of dating apps. Mm-hmm. I know that yeah. you've talked about these a lot on your podcast. But, you know, I talk about in the book sort of this ideal of sort of privacy on dating apps and being able to sort of do whatever you want to do. I interviewed this one young woman who she was like, yeah, you know, I, I got on the apps. I wanted to sort of prove that I could be as casual as anyone else. And like, honestly, I got a guy to come to my house. Like I ordered a man on Tinder. It was, it was awesome. (laughs) And then we were talking, she was like, wait, uh, maybe that's like not the, the best way of describing a person, (laughs) like a pizza. (laughs) And I think that more people are sort of beginning to sort of realize and feel how app dating has made it so much easier to kind of commoditize other people and treat relationships transactionally. And also the fact that dating via app means that you're kind of unmoored from any sort of community standard because like you don't know them, they don't know you. So it's a lot more acceptable to like ghost someone or send them a dick pic or like whatever because no one will find out as opposed to if you were dating someone you met through friends right. or coworkers or church where there's some more responsibility to treat someone well. I feel like I'm seeing people step back from the apps a little more and be like, this is not like encouraging sort of healthy dating habits. Mm. This isn't making me happy. I'm trying to meet people other ways, the real world maybe, 
or even like on other outlets, whether it's like, oh, I'm just going to slide into someone's Twitter DM. Do people do that? Twitter DMs? They do. (laughs) They they definitely do. (laughs) Or like Instagram. (laughs) But I think people are looking for new ways to meet other people that are not just like sort of mindlessly and numbly swiping through apps. And I don't know what form that's going to take in the long run, yeah. but I, I would be interested in, in seeing where that turns out. I don't know. Have you talked to people who feel really oh, burned out oh, by Apple? Yeah, at this like point? every yeah. single person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I met my partner on an app, so I'm not like totally anti apps at all. And I think there is a purpose that allows you to meet people that you wouldn't. And, you know, it's one of those things that I remember before apps, everyone complaining that it was so hard to meet people out and about. So it's funny how like the pendulum just shifts. And again, it's all about this like overcorrection that keeps happening. That being said, I think that we haven't really refined what meeting online means in a long time. Like we just have this swiping mentality. Is mm-hmm. that the best way for people to meet? Probably not. You know, it does bring a lot of this commodity feel to it. And I feel like all these new apps keep emerging, but it's just a variation of that. We need someone to take a bigger swing. I think ultimately online is, you know, the way that our world is moving. Like there's almost this online world and outside world. And it can be a beautiful thing if you're able to use both to your advantage. I don't think it needs to be either or. But what we find is that people, you know, get so hung up on one side or the other or the way it's designed is not fulfilling. So I think there needs to be some shifts over like, are dating apps a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, for sure. The other the other trend that I am seeing and write about in Rethinking Sex is kind of a, a reconsideration of what sex positivity means. Mm-hmm. And to the question of consent, this idea that like, to be sex positive, to be a good sort of feminist or a good kind of modern person means to be you know, always up for anything yeah. and like never push back on someone's demands. And like the ideal person is like super experimental and good giving and game all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talked to so many women who had these encounters where they were like, yeah, like I went to bed with this person. He choked me and <laughs> I didn't love, I didn't love that, <laughs> but I don't know. I guess I consented. Cause like, that's what we're doing now. Like this is actually, this was a story that, uh, a woman told me at a party and she was like asking for my advice. She was like, he chokes me. Is that okay? Like, cause she didn't feel like she could say right. that it wasn't okay. Cause she didn't want to, you know, yuck his yum or whatever. I'm, I'm feeling some pushback uh, towards the, that idea of like relentless wow. positivity in yeah. someone's uncritical sex positivity and a feel from women, especially that actually maybe we should have some clearer norms about what is yeah. and isn't normal uh, or what should and shouldn't be expected yeah. in the first date. And whether like sexual encounters that are shaped by pornography are actually, you know, not something that we should be okay with. So how would you redefine sex positivity? Hmm, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I think that actually I would return to sort of the original definition of sex positivity. So sex positivity was coined by the like feminist journalist Ellen Willis in the 1980s, I think. She actually used it in response to sort of a specific problem, okay. um, the sort of radical feminist movement that suggested that women and men would always be at odds. And like actually women, if they really were feminists, shouldn't have sex with men. Interesting you know, should be either celibate or have sex with women instead because, you know, anything else was in support of the patriarchy. 
Ellen Willis described herself as sex positive, saying that like, actually, no, I am a woman and I enjoy (laughs) sex. And I think it's possible to have sex with men. And that's fine. I shouldn't have to like sacrifice my own pleasure and experiences to like teach men a lesson. Mm. Sex is a good thing. And it's, you know, something that I as a woman should be allowed to experience and people should care about my experiences. Mm. And I think like that's a real definition of sex positivity, right? Mm -hmm. Just being able to not be afraid of sex, you know, as I think, or demonize sex as it felt like was being done sort of prior to the sexual revolution saying this is a bad thing. We shouldn't talk about it. Also, women don't even like it. Being able to admit that it matters to us, you know, um, have our opinions about it and our feelings about it taken into account and sort of respecting our feelings is a positive vision of sex, Mm. you know, being honest about what it means to us and sort of caring about it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to do everything that we're asked or perform in a certain way. Really, it means valuing our own experiences, our lived experiences, our actual desires, and having those respected by other people. Mm -hmm. That's a positive vision of sex that I think we can all get behind. I love that. I, I love that because it's not about deprivation, which I feel like for so many years, women felt like if I deprive them of sex, then they're going to want me more. But at the same time, you're stripping yourself of the pleasures of sex, too. And it's not about demonizing sex either. It's about reestablishing what you enjoy and what you get out of sex and making it a collaborative experience versus it's all about me or it's all about them. And respecting our own agency when it comes to sex. Yes. Yes. Julie and I have been to a few sex positive events. And I think something I really like about the community is that it comes off non-judgmental. It's really open for people to come and explore and see where where their boundaries are, really. But I think from the outside, if you don't come into the community, you see it. It's almost like a form of pressure. Like, I should be out doing all kinds of kinky sex. Yeah. I remember dating this guy. He's like, I bet you're real kinky. Right. And I'm like, I don't know even know what that means. But should I be? Like, <laughs> yeah. Should I be sticking things up your butt? I don't know. I think that's like the mentality now that you're either very traditional and old fashioned or you're kinky. There's like no in between. Yeah. And Christine, you said it exactly how I've been trying to articulate it in my head is we have to decide that for ourselves. So many times we think we should or have to. It's almost like the more free we are, the more oppressed we are mm-hmm. by the shoulds of society that we think what is supposed to be the new way of doing things. Yeah, no, absolutely. In some ways, it, I think it can feel like if before the sexual revolution and feminist movements, there was pressure to like not do anything, not talk yes. about sex. Now it almost feels for many women like there's pressure to do stuff. Like you have to be out there. You have yeah. to be sort of excited and up for it all the time. But that's also pressure, right? That's not actually freedom. Right. <laughs> um, and what we were hoping for was like freedom to be our ourselves and pursue what is, you know, good for us, not to just be pressured in a new direction. Yeah. So finding ways to like claim actual freedom um, will be really important. Yeah, I think this is something that we've seen with masculinity also. It's like this pressure to be alpha because that's what there's this vision that women like that. But then also this pressure to be super vulnerable and in touch with your emotions. It's just it's a lot to like put on those two parallels for people. 
And I think like that's honestly what I'm taking away from the majority of this conversation is that all the progress has really just shifted new norms and new standards and new expectations. And I think the way out of this really is to be more liberal with our own views of it. Like, this is what I want. And, you know, I loved the exercises and kind of thought process you were taking Mm -hmm. people through, Christine, of just like taking that second to think about it. Like, we're just always being influenced by what's happening in culture, opposed to thinking about like, what is actually good for us. And that is the only way out of this and to return to some equilibrium a bit more. And I also love what you said about just equality is that like, equality doesn't mean that we're just shifting into the old norm of what someone else used to be in the old standard. It's how do we start to like work together and get out of this like me versus you mentality that we talk about on this podcast all the time. We call it relationship chicken that people you know never want to show their cards. It's pitted me against you. And I think that's what's happened with feminism and sex and masculinity and all this stuff. And how can we start to like look at it more as humanity and human connection opposed to, you know, this power struggle that's up? That's kind of my big takeaways from this is we need to keep rethinking sex every day and getting really in touch with what it means. I think even just reading your book, it made me stop and be like, oh, yeah, like it is intimacy. It is closeness. It is connection. You think it's just something that like you're supposed to do and it's part of relationships and, you know, growing up and like having status or whatever it is that you're actually seeking opposed to what it can mean for you individually. Yeah. Biggest takeaway is it's not about equality it's about humanity. And you saying that basically with new feminism, we're just succumbing to the worst sort of man rings so true for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, Julie and I have talked about these stories all the time. I've had guys slam doors in my face and say, equality, you can open your own door. Uh, We've also been at a bar where a guy knocked my drink off the table. And um, instead of buying me another drink, he said, women make as much as men now so you can buy your own drink. (laughs) And that's not equality. That's just being a douchebag. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's not a good person. Like if I dropped some guy's drink, I would expect to pay for that because I dropped their drink, not because it has nothing of like to their do gender, with gender. Right, right. It's just about being a good person. So instead of thinking about the tit for tat, oh, men have this, we also need this. I think we can rise above and think, what is a good human being? And we can be that. That's how we can overcome being the worst kind of douchebag, which is unfortunately what modern dating is experiencing too. It's that lowest common denominator. Uh, The second takeaway I have is something that was, when you said this, I was like, oh my gosh, so true. When you go from so many rules and oppression to all of a sudden this free world, we almost don't know where to go. (laughs) And it makes sense because Mm -hmm. there's a really high number of prison inmates that once they leave prison, they actually go back because they don't know how to operate into in a free world. And, you know, this is kind of like the fun and exciting part of where we are today is that we are in this free world. We are creating these new rules or things or ways to think about sex and love. But this is our chance to do it right. 
instead of just like, well, what do other people like? <laughs> Maybe I'll just like what they like. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, and Christine, this is something that Julie and I talk about all the time. It's like, we just don't know what we want. Now, maybe that's the issue. It's like, we don't actually take that pause, like you were saying yeah. before having sex. It's like the pause of what is it I'm looking for? What is it that I want? <laughs> and that will guide my new way of dating. It has nothing to do with feminism. It has nothing to do with this new sexual freedom. It's about what I want. And I think we just need to be a little bit more in touch with with what that is. And that's something I struggle with on a daily basis. It's like, what is it that I'm looking for? Yeah, I, I think these takeaways are exactly right. I mean, this is kind of the point of rethinking sex and why it's, you know, subtitled to provocation, not because I'm trying to make people upset with this book, but to actually provoke us to, to just think about it. Yeah. You know, like, why are we doing the things that we we do? You know, what do we want? And what would we want if we had a real choice? Mm-hmm. You know, where are we trying to go? And how do we get there? Stepping back and thinking about that means that we would actually have the opportunity to create the sexual culture that we want, yes. rather than sort of just taking whatever is given to us. And this is a moment where you know, we're having the conversation, or at least beginning to have the conversation. We've had the prompts. So how do we use the moment well? Well, Christine, where can people find the book Rethinking Sex? Yeah, Rethinking Sex is available ideally wherever books are sold. So Amazon, your local bookstore, bookshop.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and at the Washington Post. Um, but my handle is just at Christine Emba. So I'd love to hear from you guys. Fabulous. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much for being on Dateable. And thank you to all, everyone listening to this episode. Hopefully this will instigate some conversations to be had because that's what is the starting point, right? Is having these open conversations about sex and equality and feminism, what it all means to us. Uh, and, you know, something that means a lot to us is when you all leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Five stars and maybe a love letter. We love that. That definitely helps us to bring on more fabulous guests like Christine. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Stay Dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. 